When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, the Hey, Mary Kay edition of the podcast where Mary Kay Cabot answers questions from our football insider subscribers, mostly about the loss to the Jets on Sunday. We get into the whole Nick Chubb, should he or shouldn't he have scored situation. We talk about the breakdowns in the defense and we discuss the special teams failures. That's all coming up on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Like I said, these questions came from our football insider subscribers. Those people get to be our tech subscribers and send us questions. They get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns, and they get a newsletter delivered to to their inbox every single day. I actually wrote Mondays. It's written by a member of our Browns reporting team, uh, and that is exclusive to our Football Insider subscribers. So cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. Okay, here we go. Our Tuesday Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And away we go on the Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. The Browns coming off of one of the most devastating, bizarre, all sorts of adjectives to describe this loss, Mary Kay, 31-30 to the Jets. And you can imagine our Football Insider subscribers have all kinds of questions. And I dug in and I found the one texter who wasn't mad at me for suggesting that Nick Chubb scoring uh, with a minute 55 left was maybe in hindsight a pretty big failure by this team. So Jim Buddy from Pittsburgh says, Hey, Mary Kay, I agree with Dan that Nick Chubb needed to be more aware of the clock game management. It seems like the word never got to them from the bench. Why the heck not? Now we discussed this on the pod last night. I think most of us were in agreement that yes, they probably should have figured out a way to run out the clock there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kevin today, I thought was very interesting, uh, saying that he he kind of took it on himself that he should have gotten that word to Nick Chubb um, and and to the rest of those skill players that you know get down and run out the clock. So, I, I guess I'm taking this question from Jim. I mean, hey Mary Kay, in the aftermath of all this, having heard everything, who screwed up here? Well, first of all, there is no way that a running back should have clock management in his mind when he's out there running the football. That is not his responsibility to know that. Now, when you go back two years ago to the no Moss run in the victory over the Texans at first energy stadium, the 10 seven victory over the Texans, he was told by Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield, or at least Kevin Stefanski via Baker Mayfield through the headset in the huddle. 
to not score on that long run at the end of the game and do not give the ball back to Deshaun Watson. These guys don't, I mean, they're not sitting there with analytics charts and all that kind of stuff. They're, they're supposed to go out and run their tails off. And that's what they're supposed to do. And of course, unless you're told stop and do not run into the end zone, you're going to do it. That's what you're trained to do. That's what you're supposed to do unless you are told not to. So it is absolutely 100% on Kevin Stefanski to tell them not to. Now, he admitted today that he basically didn't do that, uh, I think, because they must have thought that, erroneously thought, that if they went up by 14 points there uh, and that they that they had less than two minutes left in the football game, that they were going to be okay and that the game would be well in hand. Lo and behold, it was one of the most colossal meltdowns, the most colossal meltdown since their last <laughs> colossal meltdown 21 years ago. I mean, it's just 21 years, 2,229 games. I mean, that's not happened. That, that is just how egregious this whole thing is, that it hasn't happened since 2001 when they did it against the Bears in week nine. So absolutely. This is on Kevin Stefanski. I'm glad he really emphasized today that he needed to take the heat for that because the heat needs to come off of Nick Chubb. Okay, so there's a few things that that I think need to be points that need to be made here. And I, I think you're right. I, I think Kevin Stefanski does need to own this. I also think there's this like either or being done on social media and with a lot of our texters that like, well, if you think Nick Chubb or I and mean, we're saying Kevin Stefanski in this case, if you think Kevin Stefanski made a mistake here, it takes the blame off the defense. And that's not true either. We're, we have tons of questions about the defense. We're certainly going to get into all of that. But I, I think one point here is like, this is not an either or. This is just, this was a mistake. And then this was an even bigger, like this was an even bigger disaster after the mistake. Yeah. I mean, as I wrote in my rewritten game story last night, like, after that point, every single thing that could go wrong did go wrong, right? I mean, it was Murphy's Law after that. Everything went wrong that could in all phases of the game. I mean, my goodness, uh, you know, you have the uh, missed extra point right after that. When does Cade York ever miss a kick that short? Never. I mean, we see him obviously, boom, 68 yarders, 78 yarders. Uh, so for him to miss an extra point there, um, you knew that, you know, that the uh, that the football gods were not smiling down upon the Browns at the end of this football game. Uh, then, you know, you've got the, you know, the onside kick. They they don't recover the onside kick. You've got um, the the long bomb that they knew that these guys were going to have to throw a long bomb to get back into the game. And they just had a completely blown coverage again. And we've been trying to get to the bottom of it. Uh, Denzel thought that that they were in cloud cover, too. Grant Delpit apparently thought they were supposed to be in, in cover three. Um, Denzel thinks he was supposed to have the flat pass and, and wasn't supposed to take Corey Davis deep on the 66-yard touchdown. Um, but it seemed to me, and he said, it wasn't my coverage, wasn't my guy. And then you had Grant basically saying, hey, we were, he wasn't conceding anything. There are two different coverages that you can play in that situation. And we had a communication error. So it's hard to say, you know, what exactly was supposed to happen unless 
Joe Woods really, you know, will is willing to break that down and explain it for us. But, you know, those guys don't want to throw their players under the bus. So, you know, it, it's going to be hard information to come by. Suffice it to say that Denzel Ward thought one thing, Grant Delpit thought another thing, and it resulted in a 66-yard touchdown. But that wasn't the only touchdown they gave up. They gave up another one. 15-yarder, wide open over the middle, Garrett Wilson, 22 seconds left in the football game. And then just because Jacoby Brissett had played so well all day and did not want to be left out of the meltdown, he threw an interception uh, when he did get the ball back with 22 seconds left and an opportunity for maybe a Hail Mary or something. So, um, you know, everybody participated in the collective meltdown, but I just don't think we can overstate the fact that had Nick Chubb been told to go down instead of scoring there or to go out of bounds after getting the first down, the game would have been over. The Browns would be 2-0. and and, and so here's the last point I want to make on this, the last question I have on this. So I actually have the, the no Moss game from 2020, up, the, the play-by-play. So Nick Chubb ran out of bounds with a minute seven left. The Browns were up 10-7. Had he scored there, they would have been up 17-7, uh, two scores with actually less time than was left in, in this particular game. And I remember after that game, just how roundly praised Kevin Stefanski and this coaching staff were. And so to all the people that are saying like, we can't talk about this and we can't point to this, I guess I would just ask, and I would ask you, Mary Kay, what do you think the discussion would be today if Nick Chubb had slid or gone out of bounds or taken a knee because Kevin Stefanski told him to. It would be about how detail-oriented they are and how smart they are and how this team wins on the margins. So I, I think that's where I have the issue here. If if it had happened, all we'd be hearing about today is how how brilliant a decision it was. Right, and that's, that's what you expect. I mean, this is an Ivy League front office. It's an Ivy League coaching staff. We've written ad nauseum about how intelligent and smart these people are. And uh, they're supposed to know that. They're supposed to have that on a card. They're supposed to have that in their head. They're supposed to have one guy devoted to end of game clock management. And if you don't have that person, you need to get that person. There are always, um, you know, Les Levine, one of, one of my dear friends and one of, I know one of your good friends too, uh, the late Les Levine was just the master of clock management. He always knew exactly what to do in the end of game and with the clock and the timeouts and all that sort of stuff. If, if you don't have somebody like that on your staff that's either upstairs or downstairs or someone in the, and that has Kevin Stefanski's ear in those moments, then you are remiss. You need that. It's vitally, vitally important. Uh, it could be somebody that it's their secondary job but you have to have someone who's brilliant. I can promise you that Bill Belichick has somebody who is brilliant at clock management that would help him out in those kind of situations and that you don't have gaffes like this. Because the truth of the matter is, that is on Kevin Stefanski and he is expected to make those kind of calls. Yeah, he, he either didn't do it or he's covering in a big way for someone yeah. else who was supposed to relay that message. Uh, whether it was the quarterback, whether it was whatever, but yeah, he, he took it on himself. And I just think it's, you know, we're allowed to discuss that and also allowed to discuss how bad the defense was in the final two minutes, which brings us to Jim from Jacksonville. Uh, Hey, Mary Kay, 
Can you explain what the players and team mean by miscommunication? And the second part, who is doing the miscommunicating? Well, you know, we are trying to get to the bottom of that right now. And one of the issues I think, you know, we're trying to, you know, dance around it a little bit and and dig into it more, a little bit more. The hard part this week is that we've only got one open locker room and it's going to be hard to get uh, all the answers that we need. We're going to have to do a little requesting and a little digging, but, um, but basically uh, what can happen on any given play are a couple of different coverages. And that's what Grant said that, that they could have either been in cover two, Denzel called it, you know, a cloud cover two, or they could have been in something else. And it seems like a lot of people think that that something else was a cover three. And you have different guys that have different responsibilities, depending on those coverages. And Denzel, again, in this instance was supposed to handle the flat pass and, uh, you know, Tyler Conklin, the tight end. I mean, that, that was kind of his guy. So, um, so that's where the miscommunication is. Which one of those coverages are we in right now based on the formation of the offense? And we don't know if it's because they have sort of a lack of continuity with their green dot, green sticker guy making the defensive calls, or it's because they're not communicating non-verbally effectively. Uh, John Johnson, the three talked yesterday about we need hand signals. So, you know, let's all, everybody put up you know, whatever hand signal would be appropriate in this situation. So if we are in cloud cover two, everybody look around and make sure that you're doing, you know, whatever your cloud cover two hand signal is going to be. And so they do have to get much, much better at that. And it's got to be nonverbal because it's loud and it's loud at the end of the game. And you can't expect even the home crowd to be quiet when you want them to. You can't, you can't rely on that. So you have to have hand signals, nonverbal communication, and everybody's got to get it and they got to get it fast. We, we had some, some green sticker questions and, you know, I mean, I'll just ask it for everyone who sent it in. Hey, Mary Kay, should John Johnson, the third, be the green sticker guy moving forward? Well, maybe because he's always on the field, you know, so maybe, maybe he should. And, you know, sometimes they they don't want to give it to somebody that plays in the back end. You kind of want to give it to somebody in the middle of the field um, because, you know, obviously he's up closer and he then can make sure that, you know, JOK is where, he, where he's supposed to be. And uh, you can kind of handle both levels of the defense. But, um, you know, it, it does seem like there's there's enough substitution going on that perhaps, you know, you do need to give it to someone like a JJ3 who's on the field most of the time. Do you have the snap counts up? I mean, maybe we could look and see. Um, I, I can find them. I had looked earlier. Um, and, and just, I mean, so everyone knows, it was John Johnson most of last year. Um, yeah. It was Anthony Walker to start, and then Walker got hurt in the Kansas City opener, and they gave it to Johnson, and he ended up never giving it back. So snap counts, I'm pulling them up right now. Uh, okay. John Johnson played every snap, all 70, as yeah. did Grant Delpit. And then your linebackers, Anthony Walker played 52, so that's 74%. And then the other player who would wear it, Jacob Phillips, played 39%. Yeah. So, you know, maybe therein lies part of the problem. Maybe they just need to give it to JJ3. Whatever the case, and you can't really reinvent the wheel when you have another game in four days. You don't want to make things worse and screw things up and – and, and try to do too many things uh, too quickly. But, 
Anthony Walker was talking yesterday about the fact that he's got to do a better job with the defensive calls. But as you just mentioned, he wasn't on the field for every single play. So therefore, you know, that's where some of those communication issues may have come into play. But I would probably think about giving it to JJ3 since it looks like most of the time he is going to be on the field. Um, again, would you do it for this weekend? Not positive about that. But if they get their hand signals right, and if they make sure that before every single defensive snap, uh, that they know what the coverage is supposed to be, even if even if it's late, I mean, even if you don't know, even if they're you know using motions and different things to cross you up and screw you up, uh, you still have to, as soon as you can, get those hand signals up in the air so everyone can see and you know what the heck you're doing. Yeah, and I think. You know, I mean, traditionally, and Grant Delpit said this, traditionally it is the Mike linebacker that has it. And on most defenses, that's the case. But the Browns defense isn't very traditional because there's like three positions where guys play every snap. It's usually one of your corners. It's usually your free safety. And it's usually your Mike linebacker. But that's not the case in this defense. They're rotating. They're rotating Phillips and they're rotating that linebacking core. There was a play yesterday where they had six defensive backs. They're doing different things with their personnel groupings. And it, it seems like the, the one consistent thing they're doing is making sure number 43 is on the field for every play. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think maybe therein possibly lies the answer, but how many times did you look out there and see guys, you know, get, you know, kind of questioning each other after, uh, after a touchdown, like, you know, Hey, where were you? What were you supposed to be doing? You know what I mean? Like, and that, that, that kind of body language is not good either. You don't want the opponent to see that. You don't want the fans to see that. You don't want to be captured on television doing that kind of almost, you know, really calling out your teammate on the field about like, where the heck were you on that play? Um, so that's got to stop. You know, that's got to stop. And even today, Dan, this was a little bit of a challenging day, in my opinion, because Denzel Ward came out publicly in his Zoom conference and said, it wasn't my coverage. Okay. So then that basically says to us, who's, who's, whose guy was Corey Davis, right? Mm -hmm. Grand Delpit. So if, if Denzel's going to say that it kind of puts the onus onto Grant. So then we get Grant on a zoom and I commend the Browns for getting those guys. We told them that we needed to talk to those guys today because Grant did not want to talk in the locker room last night and maybe he should have, because maybe it would have cleared some of this stuff up. Denzel said he was available, but nobody approached him, you know, and maybe it's one of those things where all of a sudden everybody zooms over to someone and he thinks nobody wants to talk to him. And before you know it, he's gone. So, you know, those things happen, but, um, but, you know, we had him, we had Denzel saying, wasn't my coverage. And then you got, Grant coming out and saying, um, I am not going to play the blame game with my teammates. I point blank asked him specifically. So with Denzel saying it wasn't his coverage, it makes it seem like it should have been you. Was it you? Is that true? Is that accurate? And he said, I'm not going to play the blame game with my teammates. So that says to me that he doesn't think it was supposed to be him. Because if it was supposed to be him, then I think he probably would have said, yeah, that was my bad, right? 
I mean, most of the time guys do that. A lot of the times guys do that. I mean, I talked to Amari Cooper last week and asked him uh, about that spike play. And he admitted that he made a mistake on the play, that he made a mistake. And now, of course, it's easier to admit a mistake after a victory, right? It's much easier to admit a mistake. It did not cost them the game. The mistake that we're talking about here with Grant or Denzel or however it went down it was so incredibly costly, you know, it, it helped cost the game. So nobody really wants to admit to that, but it just seems to me that those guys each thought they were supposed to be in the other coverage. So this actually brings up another question because the other part of this is like, you know, what else is really easy to do when there's a microphone in your face and and you consider yourself a team leader is just say that's on me. Yeah. Right. So this brings us to another question uh hey mary Kay, saying it wasn't my coverage but i'll take the blame is not really taking the blame shouldn't a team leader say i'll take the blame period and you mentioned anthony walker earlier who is certainly he's a captain he's one of the leaders on this team yeah you mentioned it i, I was in that scrum it might have been an answer to, to one of my questions he said you know i need to do a better job yeah. it's not his job to cover any of his receivers but he put it on himself Right. And so it, it did take me aback a little bit that Denzel was so, you know, I don't mind him pushing back on, you know, I certainly don't mind him pushing back on somebody from PFF if they have some info wrong. But when you start talking about teammates and saying, well, that wasn't my guy, that does send a bad message, I think, if you're supposed to be one of the team leaders. Yeah. And I asked Grant that today, too. I said, do you wish he said, I'm not going to play the blame game with my teammates. It was a communication error. And he just kind of left it nebulous. And I said, do you wish everybody would do that where everybody would say, hey, you know what? We goofed up unless somebody's willing to take uh, the blame. And I think the week before, if I'm not mistaken, didn't didn't Greg say that the Robbie Anderson TD was supposed to be that that was supposed to be him? I can't remember. I can't can't remember. Well, anyways. You know, there are times where a guy will just say, that was my bad. That was my, that was my blown coverage. I, I should have been in place and I, and I wasn't there. We hear that guys do do that. If it's not your guy and you didn't blow the coverage, then I don't necessarily feel like you should take the blame for that because it's not genuine. It's not authentic. And it does get confusing because you're going to look out there. You're going to watch the tape and you're going to be like, wait a minute, they were in a cloud cover too. And in that formation, Denzel is supposed to have the flat and he was supposed to be on Tyler Conklin when he ran a late route. You know what I mean? Like people can watch the tape. So if it's not genuine and authentic, I really don't think you should necessarily take the blame for it, but I think you can um, be a little bit more ambiguous about it and just say, you know, kind of like granted, you know what? Hey, it was a communication error. We didn't do the right thing. We must do better. Like JJ3 said, we've got to get our hand signals right. We're going to get it right. We're going to come out against the Steelers and we're going to be way better than that. And we're not going to let it happen again. But there, there at least has to be some sort of better messaging, I guess. Okay, yeah. communication, right? There has to be some sort of better messaging. So if Denzel doesn't want to just stand up there and say, I'm going to take the blame, or if somebody didn't stand up in that room and say, hey, listen, just put this on me when we get like, this is on me. I messed up. I'll take the blame on this one publicly, whatever. That, that certainly wasn't messaged out to the rest of the group or it wasn't, you know, or however they wanted to kind of 
send this message that this is what happened. It, it certainly wasn't communicated with each other very well. So I guess this is all just about really poor communication. Yeah, I mean, it seems to me today that the DB room needs to have a, a little clearing of the air and a little bit of a heart-to-heart -heart talk about how they're going to handle these kinds of situations, right? Because the most important thing that they need to do right now is they need to stick together. They need to close ranks. They need to say, we're not going to let outside noise. We're not going to let anybody get to us. We're not going to let anybody make us say something that we don't want to say, because we're going to present a united front. And when we give up a 66 yard touchdown, we're going to pull together and we are going to say that we as a collective group need to do better and we're going to find a way. Okay, let's take a break. And then we've got some more questions still uh, about the defense and also some other topics from Sunday's loss to the Jets. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Let's switch gears just a little bit. We will probably get back to some defensive questions, but there is another big topic that I think is sort of been flying under the radar uh jim james saggy from englewood ohio hey mary Kay. the browns had three bad plays on special teams they also had trouble with the onside kick last year i believe he's talking about baltimore who's held responsible for breakdowns and what can the browns do to prevent them and you know what i mean the special teams thing is is very very disappointing i mean this is a, a longtime veteran coach you've got upgraded players at these positions you know you've got Cade York uh missing an extra point which I mean you can't really pin that on the coach but uh to have those collective breakdowns on special teams not recovering an onside kick and um I don't know what the statistics are on a team recovering its own onside kick but I don't think it's like super high we uh, you know Maybe we'll try to look that up for the next time we pod and give people that answer. But, you know, that's not supposed to happen. Fake punt. I mean, that was a killer too, right? That led to a touchdown that led to their first score. So, you know, it's, it's too late in the tenure of, of this group to be having that many breakdowns in one game. You're not going to be perfect. Nobody expects any unit to be perfect. You're going to have mistakes, but you can't have three huge mistakes by one unit. And, and that's what's been happening. They've been, you know, each of them coming up with a handful of enormous mistakes. Well, and even on the fake punt, you know, Kevin has sort of been playing that off as well. They just made a play, but like, you're not running a fake punt if you're not noticing something on film. Right. That's, that's usually how that works. You notice something on film. If you see it, they, they change the call when they line up or they go in knowing this is a space where they can take advantage of it. So even if it was just a case of, hey, they made a good play, it happened because they, they clearly saw something they can exploit. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, again, 
These teams don't have a ton of time to pour over film and prepare for this Thursday night game, but you can bet that Mike Tomlin and his very veteran and really good coaching staff, that they're looking at some of these things and that they're going to try to find a way uh, that they can throw the, that they can get the Browns into one of these blown coverages and throw the ball over their heads. And they're going to try to do some, you know, pull out, pull out all the stops and maybe try to do some tricky things on, on special teams. You know, maybe they try a fake pun of their own or whatever, but I, these mistakes that you make are captured on film and a good coaching staff will make you pay for them. And we know that Mike Tomlin has a really good coaching staff. Uh, Terry in Strongsville has another special teams question. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, on most of the kickoffs, the Browns tend to kick the ball short. This is kind of a, a Mike Prefer philosophy thing. Most kicks uh, were returned yesterday past the 25 with one to the 40. I don't have those numbers in front of me, but there were some good kick returns on Sunday. The kicker is an automatic touchback. Is this another example of special teams being a mess? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. We'd have to ask Mike Prefer what his feeling, what his philosophy is on that. Um, for each team, you come up with a different strategy based on, you know, based on their returners and based on all of those factors. Um, so, I mean, I know that he's deep into the whole analytics piece too, and that if he's doing that, there was a reason for him to do that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you cannot have your special teams be a liability. I mean, you just can't, you have to have, uh, the kicking game make, you know, making sure that it's getting you in good field position and helping you win the football game. And it certainly didn't do that yesterday. Okay. This is a, another sort of an interesting angle on the Nick Chubb thing from Scott Mandel in Los Angeles. And it recalls, uh, the chargers game from last year. And I think also goes hand in hand with the, uh, the Houston game that we talked about. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, Kevin Stefanski should have known better on the Chubb touchdown. And he remembers last year, late in the Chargers game, the Browns literally picked up a Chargers running back and carried him into the end zone. So he couldn't down himself and the Browns would get the ball back as head coach. Does Kevin Stefanski have too much to think about during the game? And is it time for him to give up play calling? You know, I, I thought that question would come up today. Um, because of some of the things that happened in that football game, especially the Chubb thing. I'm going to say, I still don't think so right now. I'm not ready uh, to, you know, to blow it up after this game and just say, forget it. He can't not handle that job. But what they do need, as I mentioned before, is they have to have somebody that is that overseer of clock management. He, he needs some help with that. There were times last year where they did not, always do the right thing in the heat of the moment at the end of the game or at the end of the half. And, and I think that he does need some the eye in the sky, somebody upstairs or whatever that is devoted just to that. And if they have to hire somebody, then hire somebody go out and hire a brilliant analytics person or somebody, I, you know, if you don't have somebody that, that has the time or the wherewithal to do that, then get somebody because you cannot afford mistakes like that. The, let's say that you're in a tight playoff race and it comes down to the very end. I mean, this could be one of those games that you look back at it and say, if not for that job, uh, not going out of bounds there, we'd be in the playoffs right now. I mean, that's how close the, that's how razor thin these margins are. It just can't happen. And, and I just have to, so like Scott brought up this, this chargers game and I just have to like, 
go back to this idea that Kevin has been so good with stuff like this, right? His, his ability to know when to go for it on fourth down, um, his ability to set up those, um, those double dips at the ends of halves. Um, his timeout usage is, is usually pretty solid. And then, you know, there was that Houston game. There was that Chargers game last year, which was like the analytics bowl. And it was like dragging a running back into the end zone because they knew they needed him. They couldn't let him go down. They needed to get the football back. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's why the Nick Chubb thing is a discussion because this is the standard we've created with Kevin Stefanski. Mm -hmm. And this is the standard we've created with this coaching staff. And I'm, I'm sure they do have some, there's no way they don't have an analytics guy in a booth somewhere. But like, so, but this is the standard and now we can't just suddenly shrug our shoulders and say, yeah, well, he couldn't have expected him to score twice in a minute 55. That's the point. That's what he's been so good at is anticipating those crazy, like those crazy, this could never happen things, but we're going to do everything we can to prevent it from happening. Right. And uh, once again, when you have, uh, you know, an all Harvard or an all Ivy League front office, and you have an Ivy League head coach and a really, really super smart coaching staff. And they require their players to be very, very intelligent with a really super high football acumen. They really value that. Then when it gets to those kind of moments, you shouldn't have people in the press box that know that this should happen. And you don't. I mean, that's just not, it's just not okay. So in those moments, your brains have to shine. That's where you have to step up and say, we can do this better than anybody else because we are usually the smartest person in the room or on the football field. And again, I just have to, if, if Nick Chubb had gone out of bounds or slid down, Kevin Stefanski would have a statue built outside of first energy stadium. <laughs> and he, and he should, I mean, right. and, and, and he should, we expect him uh, to do that in those situations. And I mean, it almost seems like he made the choice not to do that. And that seems curious to me. And if he was making that choice not to, who let him make that choice not to tell Nick to go out or down in that situation? Like who didn't raise their hand and say, wait, 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 tell him not to score here. Like how did that fall through the cracks? I mean, did, did they get caught up in the euphoria of, of the moment? I, I don't know. It's, it's hard to understand. Yeah, it some something got missed, and that it's so out of character for this coaching staff some to like miss something like that. Um, that that's usually stuff that they hit on. A, again, like I said, smart football Twitter would have a statue built outside of First Energy Stadium by today if Nick Chubb had not scored there. Uh, Anise Barner from Toledo, Ohio, um, has a question about Joe Woods and if he could be fired. So, hey, Mary Kay, could Joe Woods be fired within the season if these blown coverages or miscommunications keep happening? You know, this is not a knee-jerk reaction football team. This is That's not how this front office operates. That's not how this coaching staff operates. I mean, even think to last year, all those different times where we thought that Baker Mayfield should have been benched, should have been sat down for a game, should have been taken out, maybe in some cases, some some of us, including me, felt like maybe he should have shut it down for the season. Um, this is not a team that that does those kinds of things. I mean, they they don't overreact. They don't have overreaction Mondays over there in Berea. They don't do it. Uh, they know that they have to stay the course. They know that this is a 
17 week season. If you look back to the last couple of seasons, um, you know, it, it looked like last year they were going to be off to a great start after that Kansas city game. And then, you know, things kind of went south in 2021. It looked like, um, after their opener, they were going to be horrible and they made the playoffs that year. So it's so early in the season, way too early, in my opinion, for heads to roll. I just don't, I just don't think that, uh, that that can be happening. What I am very surprised about is that I really thought the defense was going to grow up a lot this year and grow up quickly. I thought the young guys were going to grow up and, uh, and take that next big leap. And I still think it probably will happen, but if it does happen, it's going to have to happen against a grueling lineup of quarterbacks. They're going to have to get good against Justin Herbert and Joe Burrow and Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen and Tom Brady. And that's not going to be easy. Okay. Along those lines, there's there's a phrase in this question that I know you absolutely love. So, hey, Mary Kay, this comes from the 203 area code. Hey, Mary Kay, uh, do you think the third game of the season could be a must win? One of your favorite phrases in all of sports. So funny. I mean, I was even thinking about this yesterday because people are trying to grade this horrific (laughs) loss. Right. And just like the magnitude of it. And it definitely, it was a, it was a horrible loss. Again, it hadn't happened like that in 21 years. I mean, it it was egregious and there were so many horrible things about it, but the stakes weren't incredibly high, right? I mean, you didn't have to win that game to save your playoff life. You can recover from it. Uh, I don't think all is lost. I don't think the sky is falling after that loss. I mean, it was bad, but I don't think it needs to be overreacted to. And same thing with with the next game coming up. Granted, you absolutely, uh, really, you want to beat the Steelers. You want to get to two and one. You don't want to fall, fall to one and two. But I am a must win purist. I am. I am <laughs> right. I mean, you know me by now about all this, Dan. I'm a must win purist. Until you're telling me that if I lose this game, I'm not making the playoffs, then it's not a must win game to me. I mean, so many games are vitally important, and this one is that. It's a division game. It counts for double in the standings and those sorts of things. But it's still very early in the season. We have seen teams get off to a horrible start and turn themselves around and make the playoffs. Who did that last year? Was it Miami or somebody? Somebody had a somebody got off to a a terrible um, I, I, I have to look it up try to remember but yeah I mean it, it happens teams especially with 17 games teams get off to bad starts um instead like still manage to I mean Pittsburgh yeah had some rough games um right. Vegas yeah they I mean they had a rough they had a rough go yes. Philadelphia there are a lot of questions about them there there's teams that get off to bad starts and, and and frankly yesterday was just a miserable day for the AFC North as a whole Yes. I mean, that's one thing that Browns fans can possibly take some solace in is the fact that everybody in the division lost. And so therefore, um, you know, nobody has jumped out to, you know, anything special. Nobody's two and zero. Everybody's 
one and one, except for the Bengals, who, by the way, went to the Super Bowl last year and they're <laughs> 0 and 2. And I'm sure that the sky is not 100% falling down in Cincinnati right now. They're probably saying some of these same things. Now, it's tough to make the playoffs when you start 0 and 2. The statistics are against you. I mean, it is like really, really hard to overcome that uh, from a percentage standpoint and still make the playoffs, but it can be done. And, um, and so I don't think one and two would be catastrophic, not ideal. Uh, but remember they do have a really, really good elite quarterback coming back for the final six games of the season. So if you can hand over to him, you know, five victories, you, you're still going to have a chance. So just, I mean, again, just for perspective and, and this is why it's, the bigger thing here isn't that they lost the game is that they can't allow it to snowball. So just as you were talking, I'm thinking about this uh, Buffalo last year who ended up going to the AF, they lost in the AFC divisional probably should have had a chance to beat Kansas city and a chance to go to the super bowl last year. They're super bowl favorites this year. Uh, they lost to Jacksonville nine to six and then they beat the jets. They lost to Indianapolis 41 to 15 before they beat the saints. And then they lost two in a row that weird game against New England, 14, 10, and then a bad game against the Bucks. that um, something weird happened in that game. I don't remember exactly what 33, 27. So teams have bad losses through the year and, and crazy losses. I think the key is you got to come back Thursday and you can't let this start to snowball because you do have so little room for error in the current situation you're in. And because like, you're just not going to make a run there in the middle of the schedule before Deshaun comes back and you have to face all those good quarterbacks that you were, that you were listing off. Right. And I think that, I mean, realistically, you want to try to hand him at least five victories by the time he comes back for the final six games, if you want to have a realistic shot. Now we've, we've played the schedule game six and five would be tough to get to with this, with the quarterbacks and the teams that they're going to be facing. But I mean, there, there's a chance that if you win some of these, a couple of these easier games in the beginning, that you could hand him five victories and then he's probably going to have to go five and one to get you to 10 to get you there. But there is a chance if you can keep it going. So one and two would not be ideal, but there would still be a lot of football left to play. You're going to have to get lucky. You're going to have to get lucky. I mean, look at, uh, look at what Miami did to the Ravens yesterday. I mean, there, there are uh, even the teams that, you know, you haven't really circled and said, Oh my gosh, that's an absolute loss. Uh, even, you know, even some of those teams are, uh, are going to be very difficult and, and surprise the Browns this year. Yeah. Baltimore blew a 28, seven halftime lead. Uh, the Bengals lost to Cooper rush and the Steelers can't score. So yeah. <laughs> things are bleak for the Browns and, and they should be two and O, but at least they can take some solace in the fact that it was a bad day all around for their division. And again, you've just got to make sure that all this chatter we're hearing all this stuff we're hearing from the defense it's not going to snowball into something where a physical Steelers defense comes to town and just beats you up and you're sitting there at one and two and trying to figure things out for 10 days yeah and you know what I mean when isn't it a tough physical football game between the Steelers and the Browns I mean when is it not I mean, it, it's just, it's, they're always tough. Now they're coming in without TJ Watt and that makes an enormous difference for them. But the Browns just lost uh, not only Jadavian Clowney, but Chase Winovich. 
So, you know, they're without a couple of their defensive ends. And that puts a whole lot of pressure on Miles Garrett because you're going to have to, I mean, they're going to double team him. They're going to be hanging on him. They're going to chip him and they're going to do some of the things that the Jets did. Robert Sala at the very end of his press conference said, we wore him out. Well, why were they able to wear him out? Because he probably had to play more after Jadavian left the game uh, to make sure that they had one of their stars on the field there to affect the game in the best way that they could uh, for most of the second half. And it's going to be the same way on Thursday night against the Steelers. I mean, if you want your premier rusher on the field, uh, you know, he's going to have to, uh, he's going to have to be on point. And that's, that's not that easy for him to take all of that extra attention and, and stay uh, solvent until the fourth quarter. And, and Clowney's off to a really good start too. Um, his first two games are really good. And now, you know, you're putting a little more pressure now on Alex, Wright and more pressure on Isaiah Thomas. And so, you know, we'll see spotlight's going to be on them and it's, it's going to be their opportunity. It is going to be their opportunity. As you, as you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the Steelers are a little bit scoring challenged right now, but the Browns are blown coverage challenged too. <laughs> I mean, they have some receivers over there, right? I mean, they've got a running game. They've got some receivers and all it takes is a couple of big plays or a couple of blown coverages to score the football. And it also takes some takeaways. And I think that uh, that's going to be a key for Thursday night is who can win the takeaway battle. And the Steelers are genuinely uh, pretty good at that. Okay, there we go. Our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Those questions came from our football insider subscribers, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. And also just make sure you're subscribed to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, And leave us five-star reviews. Say nice things about us as well uh, on both of those services. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.